Scent World is an original series presented by Scentbird, a fragrance subscription service that brings you luxury designer scents every month for $16.95. Unlock 50% off your first month at Scentbird.com. Welcome back to Scent World, a show that explores the power of expressing yourself through scent. Today, we're featuring Michelle Feeney, the founder of Floral Street, based in London, England. Flowers have been used in fragrance since the ancient times, when plant-based ingredients like blooms, leaves, and resins were blended to create scented oils. Michelle thinks the time has come to give traditional florals the modern upgrade they deserve. She's no stranger to innovation. Starting out in PR, she worked with the pioneering women who built the London fashion scene. She launched Tommy Hilfiger's first-ever fragrance, helped lead MAC Cosmetics to become the biggest makeup brand in the world, and created beauty products that went on to become cult classics. In this episode, Michelle sits down with Heather Hyatt, who runs social media at Scentbird. She tells the story of the inspiration behind her fragrances, including an iconic Van Gogh painting and a famous British garden, and shares her advice on how to embody more confidence and self-expression. Stop and smell the roses with Michelle Feeney on Scent World. So I want to start going through your life. Who was Michelle in the 80s and 90s? I know that you worked in PR and you worked really closely with the founding women who built the London fashion scene. Yeah. Can you paint a picture of what that looked like in those times? Yeah, sure. It sounds like such a long time ago when you say those times. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, actually, I moved to London from college um, in 1983 and um, I got my first job working for an amazing lady called Leslie Goring, and we did fashion show production and fashion PR. And really, to be honest, PR was a thing. It was a new thing that people were doing. and um, <laughs> Kind of like social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and um, it was just so much fun. Um, we, were, we were, you know, producing shows. Uh, we were listening to records in order to get the tracks for the shows. It wasn't like it is today where you could just download a few things um, and, and producing these shows in London. And and then I moved on to work for somebody called um, Lynn Franks. And she's, if you've ever seen the show, absolutely fabulous. It was based, it was based on our agency and based on her. Wow. So uh, that gives you a little window as to what it was like. But the 80s, and, and she had actually founded London Fashion Week. So there wasn't a fashion wow. week before then. But the 80s. No way. Yeah. Uh, the That's eight, so cool. I know. I love fashion. <laughs> But the 80s was just full of women starting their own companies, um, people developing fashion around their kitchen table. You know, Vivian Westwood, um, Jean-Paul Gaultier, everybody was just doing their thing and starting and, and nobody seemed hell-bent on 
building an empire. It was it was literally how do we get together? How do we be creative? How do we change things? How do we express things? And fashion started to be this um, really important. Um, modern sort of medium to express yourself, not just personally, but also for companies. Um, and, and I work very much at the heart of that. And beauty was a huge part of that. So what I, what I learned from working during all those fashion times was how you know, hairdressing, makeup artistry, styling, design, lighting, everything came together to create this wonderful, very short experience. Um, and one story I remember was being backstage at a show when it was Naomi Campbell's very first show. What? So if you can She's imagine that. Yeah, a legend. I know exactly. Wow. Why do you think there was an influx of women starting their businesses in the 80s and the 90s? Well, I think, you know, my bosses at the time, I guess, had come out of the 60s and the excitement of the 60s in London with Mary Quant, if you, if, you know, in that kind of fashion. And I just think of fashion and beauty and music were a place where women could start their own business and and just do it and just start to create and start to build and with these you know with these different industries coming to play like pr for instance that now we all say oh yeah she's got a pr or he's pr it really was the thing you know nobody knew quite what it was and 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 i just for my observation it was you know it's a place where women could get on and get on quickly and own right. it, own it much yeah. more than any other industry that was around at the time. Totally. What does own it mean to you? Le How did that look like? I okay. Guess? It meant lead it. Um, it also meant somebody, you know, I was empowered by those women I worked for to go be great, to own a budget, to be a director at 26, you know, wow. to build a, build a business within a business, to make big decisions, to create teams, to create things like shows or photo shoots or, you know, so it was, it was about ownership and also progress. You know, you weren't, you know, coming out of the 70s was a time of change as well. But I think a lot of these women had come from the 60s and built up throughout the 70s. Um, and the 80s were just this incredibly creative time in London. That's incredible. I love that story. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. And you started working for Estee Lauder. And there you helped launch Tommy Hilfiger's first ever fragrance. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, um, in between that, I'd moved to New York. I'd, I'd um, you know, fallen in love and my my boyfriend at the time was a record producer and he was moving to New York and it was all very exciting. Wow. And I sort of gone without a plan. Um, and I'd first of all built my own PR agency in New York from scratch and Bumble and Bumble, the hair salon was my first client and we did the products and we launched them. Wow. Uh, and then I got headhunted into Lauder and <clears throat> yes, Lauder were a privately held company at first, and then they started acquiring brands and doing licensing deals. And Tommy Hilfiger was a the first, I think, first licensing deal. It was another phenomenal time. Tommy himself um, was, still is, um, 
quite legendary. His team, predominantly females, again, <laughs> really, you know. We love a strong female. We do, we do. Um, really sort of empowered, strong group of females. Um taught me a tremendous amount about how to, at the time, pre-internet, pre-social media, reach groups of people in America, um, you know, via a brand, via music. Music was the real um, currency, if you like, to connect in the 90s. If you imagine, he'd attracted this kind of rap culture and then the frat boys as at the same time. So I, I, I sort of call it the Tommy Hilfiger effect. It's sort of how do you get to all these different communities, totally, you know, yeah. it, it, with, with, one, with one brand name. And I felt I'd learned so much from him and his team about America, actually, and, and how diverse America is um, and how to get to the multiple groups when we didn't have social media, which was a lot, a lot trickier. But I think music really was that that connecting piece in culture at, during the 90s, particularly. That's really interesting. So what music? So there was rap music, obviously, mm. for that that part mm. of the puzzle. What was the frat boy music? How did that, how well, did no, you infiltrate that? <laughs> well, I think they attached themselves to the rap. And then okay. and then there was okay. also the grunge. So you'd have, okay. you know, a lot of check shirts, a lot of plaid shirts going on. Um, there was there was grunge. There was, um, you know, the rap, rap music was really starting to take off. I think those were the sort of two predominant ones. And then you had this, um, you know, like Junior Vasquez, you know, really amazing dance music as well coming through in the, in the 90s as well. Um, but I think he used music as a platform and connecting with new artists as well and supporting new artists. That was a really big connection to youth culture um, in America. But it didn't necessarily work in other countries. So as I launched the Hilfiger fragrance in Germany or France at the time, they didn't have the same fashion cultures or music cultures. So it didn't quite work as easily. So you then had to learn what was the what was the currency in those countries, which I think I've taken forward all my life in understanding different cultures, different countries, um, and how you connect to a specific group of people. Right. That's awesome. Mm. And what was the first fragrance if our viewers or listeners aren't super familiar with it? Mm. What were the notes? What was the name? Oh, what? You mean Tommy? Tommy's first fragrance. Yeah, it was called Tommy. Yes. It was called Tommy. You show me yours. Tommy Girl. Um, and that was, I mean, it went on until very, you know, very, very recently. And then there was brand built around that. So, um, but then I got, I got to move um, into, I mean, I launched Creme de la Mer at the same time. Um, yeah. Tell us a little <laughs> bit more about that because that really helped push the industry forward in my opinion. Oh, wow. 
I like. Well, again, <laughs> I, I I think my skill set is really cult branding. So all all the way along, if you think about the I 80s, love that the, you think about the eighties, it's connecting via um, you know the popular culture at that time, which was very very grounded in fashion. Again, music, but it was you know it's it's always music and fashion seem very linked together. Um, and but with Creme de la Mer, it was almost like it was my celebrity pot of cream. So um, I love I, that <laughs> pot of cream. I love that. <laughs> and um, this was very expensive. You know, it was 150 yes. bucks. Um, and I decided to, to launch it very differently. And I thought, who are the pockets of people in America that really can afford? this amount of money at the time. And I worked with a publication called Town and Country, which is still, yes. still, yep. And it has a specific readership. Um, and I worked with the beauty editor at the time and we went and did breakfast in Nima Marcus's around um Around the around the country, so in in San Francisco, it was like the influencer, it the was... first influencer dinner. Exactly. <laughs> no, wow. Nothing is new. Can I just tell you? It just goes a bit faster. And, totally. Uh, and that's how we started to do this. And then it got on TV. And then I had people like Elton John calling me from London, going, "How do I get hold of this?" I love him. Yeah. I just read his book. Oh. That's a side note. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Well, I worked with him on Mac. I, I signed him to the Mac AIDS Fund. So, um, oh wow, that's slightly that is later. Incredible. <laughs> that's <laughs> that is so cool. When I was looking up La Mer, the cream de la Mer, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it sounds luxurious. It sounds like it solves all the problems. It's like a triple threat. Mm-hmm. But there was this thing called Miracle Broth, yep. and I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about it. It was um, it was a scientist um, who had developed this formula, which I na- I think we named it Miracle Broth, um, which was a secret formula. It still probably is, um, you know, trademarked and, and owned by Stil Ordiner, but it was made from kelp collected from the West Coast and, and marinated at the time and, and, and worked on. And he had been a NASA scientist and he got burnt in an experiment. And so he developed this broth wow. to help heal himself. And then he thought this would be great. Um, and he had a, a sort of a small following of women, um, in, you know, very interesting women, I must say, across America. I'm not sure... If he was sort of, I was semi-dating them at the time, but um, anyway, and and he developed it. The so, tea is hot. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so the Lauder scientists recreated this in a lab, and they were all very excited to recreate this and work on this. But it was relatively small formulas. So when when it became a big overnight success, we actually ran out of the product. So had to sort of get a waiting list and start doing that. Again, I think we created the first like beauty waiting list for a product um back in the uh, back in the 90s. That's crazy. So how do you how did you manage this list because this is when the internet first was starting to come around, right? Mhm. So was it like a wait list that you sign up for like you see online now or how did that how was that Oh gosh no it wasn't that sophisticated it was um it was like Saks Fifth Avenue held a waiting list um we, oh, wow. we, it was still very very um 
you know, it wasn't a digital world at that point, really. No, you know, 95, 94, 95, it really wasn't a digital world. So it was still very much um, a list that was held by somebody and people would telephone or, um, you know, it, it, a lot of phoning was still going on at that point. That is really great to set the tone for our Gen Zers out there who grew up digital natives. So now we're in 2017, mm -hmm. which is the year that Floral Street was founded. Mm -hmm. And I read this quote that you were on Floral Street, which is an actual street in London, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you can take us back to that moment of when you looked up at a sign and you thought this could be a really great name for a fragrance brand. Take us back to that moment. Yeah, well, I was... Uh, Covent Garden was right in the heart of London, but it was the original Victorian flower and fruit market. So oh, it's wow. all, but if you could imagine, there's cobbled stones. There's oh, a, I love there's cobbled a, stones. There's a big central piazza that would have, that's been uh, renovated uh, to um, house really interesting stores. There's a lot of outside performance goes on. There's a really old church and a, it's absolutely picturesque, very busy, very bustling. And um, the street is called Floral Street. So I looked up one day, literally, as, as you've said, and thought, wouldn't that be a great name for a fragrance brand? And then I we registered it around the world for beauty. So when you want to claim a name, if you like, you can register it in specific categories in different countries. If you want to own, like I wanted to own Floral Street for fragrance and bath and candles. So, so, so I acquired that. But then I actually stepped back a bit and thought, does the world need any more products? You right. know, it's full of beauty products. It's full of packaging. So I sort of took a step back and took a year out to think about it and to look at how the world was evolving, to observe my own, you know, kids who were, who were young, you know, one was a young adult at the time and, and one was a young child. And what I observed was very different to how I'd branded and grown all the other brands I'd worked on throughout my career. It was they were buying less they were less in you know they were less interested in stuff um more interested in creating um they were hearing and seeing things differently exactly because you said they're digitally native you know things were things looked differently to them the way they right. even got things delivered was different rather than shopping yeah. um, so everything had changed and i thought if i'm going to do this I want this fragrance brand, Floral Street, to be sustainable. Uh, I want the formulas to be clean. I want to open up the world of fragrance and help people learn about fragrance. So, you know, we're all, I, I, you know, observing the world at that time and beyond. You know, we're connoisseurs of chocolate and coffee and wine and gin and you name it. But nobody was saying, hey, come on in, let me help you be a connoisseur of fragrance. So then I sat around my dining room table and created the brand. Um, and now we're actually in 22 countries. We're wow. evolving. Um, but, I, but, but I think what I did was take you imagine all that energy and creativity from the 80s, creating things around.
people with group collaborative, very collaborative time, the 80s, into the 90s of this, you know, I lived in America. I was branding and connecting and, and things got bigger. Um, and then back in London, here I am in the 20s now, you know, um, sort of starting again, but the the playing field is completely different. Right. How do you think the gap year benefited Floral Street and what it is today? Oh, unbelievably. I, I um, if you could imagine, you know, you unplug your computer. I basically unplugged myself from my old life. I unplugged myself from, I didn't buy, you know, I didn't at the time because magazines were still pretty, I didn't buy any magazines. I didn't go to any industry events. I, um, I cooked a lot. I was very much just in life. Take it, you know, I'd never really done that in my life. Um, soaked it in. So it's always been like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go, go. And I just completely unplugged on that front was very present in my family life and it cleared my mind. It gave me this almost like meditation, you know, is it of a right. year, of a year. Like a sabbatical. Yes. Yeah. But I think yeah. even, even when people take sabbaticals, they, they think they need to give themselves a task, like to learn to play an instrument or, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't give myself anything. I, I said, I just want to be, I don't need to learn another instrument. I don't need to prove I can climb Kilimanjaro. You know, I, 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 I <laughs> My yeah. life had been kind of, you know, big <laughs> enough. Um, right. Yeah. So I think if you can afford time out, you're young. Lots of people probably listen to this young. You know, it's good to take time out later in life, even rather than earlier in life, because I think it's great while you've got energy and vision and focus to come kind that, of go for that, it in your that. early life. And then, and then take a bit of a breather in the middle somewhere if you can. You know. Right. Okay. That was one of my questions is, would you recommend it? Because I think a, there's a lot of talk now about, you know, taking care of your mental health and yourself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, a lot more, I feel like people are taking gap years and it's really incredible to see that something beautiful can come out of taking this time for yourself. Something even more than beautiful. It's like a creative um, brainchild, I guess, come mm -hmm. to life quite literally. Yeah. I think, I think you can, um, you know, I traveled, I'd launched, you know, 40 countries for MAC Cosmetics previously to that. I traveled wow. the world. And um That's so cool. And 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 my gap year, you know, a lot of people say normally in Britain, people take a gap year between finishing their A-levels at 18 and starting uni or college at, at you know, 20, 20, 1920. Um Nobody really, or you say maybe you're going to take a trip midlife or something. But um, I, I found, you know, I was 50, um, 51, and I just found it was this amazing breath of fresh air. But also I didn't want to travel. I wanted to sort of travel inwards. So in order to travel inwards and find out what your next step is, you have to be kind of quiet, you know. If you're constantly running around and filling your time, um, it doesn't give you time to 
really get to the bottom of what you might be feeling you can do next or, you know, or, or what you don't want to do next. You know, that's the other thing. You don't have to even make a decision, I think. But if you can't take a year, um, even finding sometimes a day in your week, you know, that you can unplug yourself. What, you know, literally you guys, all you young guys now, you're busier than I than I was in a completely different way because it's all like digital, visual. I know. You know, your my senses. Brain. Yeah, your senses yeah. are like bombarded. So if you I could know. unplug for a day, you know, it's heaven. Definitely. I think about that all the time. Um, my brain goes literally a mile a minute. And even when I have time to sit, I'm not really sitting and just breathing. I'm sitting and I'm thinking about what's next? What's this? What's that? Mm -hmm. Like what's on TV? What's on my phone? All that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to take some advice and I'm going to take a little bit of a breather for a day or two, maybe over the weekend. <laughs> um, but let's get into Floral Street and a little bit more about the three principles. I know you kind of touched on them mm -hmm. when we were just talking a few minutes ago, but I love where where the brand brand started and I love what's important to you. And I think that it shows through your work and everything that your brand puts out into the world as well. Mm -hmm. So the first one being everything is totally recyclable, reusable and compostable. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more how you achieved that? Yeah, sure. So when I looked at you know what the what the fragrance industry was doing i mean it was it was i thought it was pretty horrific you know everything was overpackaged cello wrapped you know particularly if you're in airports or department stores um you know you'll see a lot of the fragrance industry with these very ornate caps on the top they're not they're not recyclable at all they're landfill and i started with that even you know the packaging and created um we went to a 180 year old paper mill in the uk and uh, they were getting into pulp um and i said could we design a box with you and so they said yes this is how i do life you sort of knock yeah. on somebody's door and say, can yeah. we do this? You know, and until they say no, <laughs> until they say no. And or say yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we designed a box. We, we've got the bottle. We got the amazing fragrances being worked on. I can talk a little bit about that in a minute, but, um, we, uh, designed this pulp box. Um, it went to Korea to be 3d modeled. And then we, um, started producing the box. And today, we're working with um, this amazing company called Hubbub, and they do cup cycling. So we collect, they collect all the uh, cups from Starbucks and Costa and any other coffee cups. And the com company we work with can extrude the plastic out of the coffee cup and use that for energy. And then they use the paper to go into our pulp that makes our box. So I feel oh, kind of really proud that every box has got this recycled cup, but it looks beautiful. It is modern luxury. But f four and a half years ago, when I launched it, nobody wanted to write about it. They were sort of going, what are you doing? Putting a fine fragrance in a pulp box. Right. How did you overcome that? Like, what did you say back to them? Well, I, I just kept saying, this is modern luxury. You know, just you wait, 
we've got to change as an industry. We've got to do things differently. And sure enough, you know, four years on, everybody's scrambling, trying to be sustainable and, you know, in our, in my world. Um, but the other important thing I did was I work with a fragrance house called Robert A. And I can trace all of the ingredients that are in any of our products from the fragrance through to the candles, where it comes from, sometimes who's farmed it. Wow. And I know that the whole process from seed to scent is taken care of well and the people within that process are really taken care of well. So we're not just sustainably packaged. We're, we're what, you know, America knows are sort of clean on the inside as well now. And I wanted everything about this brand to be as sustainable as possible. However, it is fine fragrance. The fragrances are absolutely gorgeous. And I really didn't want to take the beauty out of beauty. Because it's it's really important that we feel good about ourselves, that fragrance makes you feel good, that it, you know, the sm smell is your, you know, strongest sense. Um, so I wanted it to be beautiful but sustainable. And I think, right. you know, I've achieved that. 100%. And how does that make you feel that you've achieved that? Do you know, I don't think I've given myself a minute to stop and sort of go, isn't that great? Because, you know, we did one year of business and then suddenly we were in lockdown around the world. So, you know, yes. we've had to sort of pivot and and keep business going. But um, I feel really proud. I feel really proud of myself. I feel very proud of my very small team. Um, and what I am blown away by is the fact that, you know, Sephora were our first stockist in the States. We're now in Nordstrom, anthropology, um, and Mecca in Australia. And, and I just think, wow, those retailers have recognized my little brand that I created around the kitchen table, you know, and, um, yeah. and I'm, and we get, that's incredible. Yeah. And we get a lot of great feedback from, um, all of the customers and I wanted it to be a modern brand. So, it's about making you feel good about yourself. We don't use the word sex or sexy in the brand. I just, I'm not saying don't feel that way or, you know, totally. have that experience, but, but it's the lazy way that a lot of beauty brands um, sell to consumers, you know? And, and I think as a modern, you know, I'm a modern person, my daughter's 18, uh, my son's in his late 20s. I don't want them thinking they have to look a certain way or be a certain way to validate feeling good, you know? Right, definitely. And that's one of your pillars as well is mm. inclusivity yeah. and making sure that, you know, there are certain verbiage that ladders up to the brand and makes the brand a brand. So do you have, um, I don't know, like a brand Bible or like words, like how to a dictionary? How does that look? Well, well, we've that's interesting. I mean, we've we know what we don't want to put in there. Um, you know the word, you know the word sexy, and because we're a vegan brand, we try not to make references to, you know, leather and, and different things that might that might not express sort of who we really are. I've had to learn that in modern branding. Um, we are copywriting. I, we are about positivity. Um, we're about joy. So 
that's what we want to get across. We haven't got a face of the brand. We haven't got a spokesperson of the brand. Floral Street is about joy. It's about happiness. It's about fine fragrance. Um, and you having a relationship to give yourself joy. Um, not, you know, you bring it to other people via fragrance. But I think if you look at a lot of the fragrance advertising, it's been about to attract a partner or something. Right. Uh, like the old things, sex sells. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But but, but <laughs> I, I wanted you. this to be about, you know, you. How do I, who do I want to be today? What am I wearing today? You know? And um and it's really interesting to see what people choose, what they're attracted to. We have words that explain the fragrances as in, you know, very positive words. Um so yeah. I am okay, proud. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. And then the last pillar that you've kind of touched on is transparency about the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And that's just really, really awesome. Is there any piece of advice that you would give to future perfumers or future brand owners about transparency and why that's important? Well, that's personal, but I I, I believe if you look at the history of me um, and brands, you know, all the way through my career, um, I, I think now if you're not transparent, I, I don't think a modern consumer really will want to be part of your gang if you like, you know, I mean, it's, um, you know, and I, and they, and what I love about a modern consumer is they research, you know, and, and they know often more about things than you do. And, um, and so you can't, there's, I, I'm a bit dismayed that, you know, quite a few brands, there's a term greenwashing or, you know, why would you do that? It's just like be transparent, be who you are. Say you're not what you want to be today, but you might be by tomorrow. You know, I, I mean, it's um, so for me, it's really, really crucial that I be as transparent as possible. You know, right. what we're I doing. love the I love like when I even in the work that I do, I do social media for a living. Yeah. I always say lifting the veil of transparency behind our brand and who's behind our brand and telling the stories, which is why we're here today, right? Mm -hmm. We want to tell the stories of the brands that are on Scentbird because I think there's so much beauty in that. And then a lot of little nuggets of gold are unlocked in these conversations. So mm -hmm. again, just thank you for joining me today. Aww. So this is going to be a fun little segment on your fragrances. And I actually, let me get it. I actually was a part of your scent school. Oh, good. So I have this beautiful packaging. And also, I know that you worked with a designer for some of the, your packaging. If you want to talk about that collaboration at all, we would love to hear about it because mm -hmm. this is beautiful. I work with um, uh, a, a sort of a family agency in, in London um, that are called Michael Nash, and I've known them both they're a couple and they're absolutely wonderful people and multi-talented. And were the, um, Stephanie was actually the designer of many album covers in the um, 80s. She, um, so oh. she's now, so anyway, I've worked, we work collab awesome. collaboratively um, with a photographer. And um, oh, wow. again, I think if you're, 
you know, a lot of people stand up and they say, it's my brand and I did this and I did that. You can't do it all by yourself. You know, I mean, you know, you need a team of really great people to collaborate with and create with. Um, and I think that's what we've done with Floor Street. And thank you for recognizing how beautiful the packaging is because that's part of the experience. And Sense School is how I help you, you know, become a, connoiss a connoisseur, you know. I feel like a connoisseur. Yeah. <laughs> Experience modern scents powered by florals and inspired by the vibrant culture of London with a quick tour of the Floral Street Fragrance Line. We're about to explore Wonderland Peony, Electric Rhubarb, Sunflower Pop, London Poppy, and Neon Rose. So when I created Floral Street, I wanted to go out with a collection. We started with eight fragrances. We've now got 11. But this collection, it instead of having a signature fragrance, it's really about experimenting with yourself and asking yourself, who do I want to be today? So I wanted, you know, fine fragrance at an affordable price so that you can own more than one fragrance and that you can experiment with yourself and see how you feel about these different types of fragrances. So I'd created them around mood muses, you know, that, that I thought modern um, individuals would respond to. And then we created fragrances around those mood boards. So there was, you know, rock wow. royalty, um, oh, Athena that. woman, um, you know, haughty, haughty culturalist, which was a, a take on a sort of a modern gardener. So I'd, I'd created these themes around the fragrances. So it gave you as an individual, some freedom to wear different fragrances to fit your mood, what you were doing to uplift yourself. Um, and the feedback I've got about the Floral Street collection is exactly that. So, you know, that's what I created these fragrances for, to bring joy, to bring individuality and expression to fragrance. Okay, Michelle, we'd love to hear about Wonderland Peony, and how did you name that and the inspiration behind it? It's doing so well with Scentbird, so... It smells so good, you guys. <laughs> oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, put this on my skin every day. So yeah, it's got cotton candy, and oh. it's got pink peppers, and, and it's yeah. absolutely stunning. So Wonderland Peony was about the days when you feel dreamy and delicate and radiant and thoughtful, which we all have those moments. Um, and... I wanted this fragrance to be absolutely stunningly beautiful, but also not not we say it's it's not it's soft, but it's captivating and it's it's not it, it's a really powerful soft fragrance, if that makes sense. And the bottle, you know, is such we photograph peonies and we hand apply these beautiful um you know, photographic images on the back of the bottle. So that even begins to put you in the mood to wear this fragrance. So you've got this beautiful For sure. peony um, a bottle. It's got incredible ingredients within it. You spritz it on, you feel dreamy and soft. And I think it makes you feel like you're giving the gift of peonies to everybody that you encounter in a day. 
And this is our number one selling fragrance around the world now. So I think people around the world are really feeling um, affinity to this beautiful, beautiful fragrance. And each fragrance is 20% fragrance oil, so it lasts a long time on your skin. So even if it's gentle, um, it will it will last on your skin and develop with you. That is so cool. And I also, before I left the house, I put sunflower pop on. <gasps> it oh, it reminds me of summertime and everything happy and the color yellow just is like immediate mood booster. Yeah. I know that's not on our list, but I just had to try that one because it was incredible. Well, you know, that was with, um, we, we have got a collaboration with the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. And oh I gosh. could I could go and choose any painting in the museum and we chose sunflowers. So on the back of that bottle, yes. it's actually this Van Gogh painting and it has his <gasps> signature. And, and wow. our nose created this wonderful, as you said, oh. fragrance where you feel like you're standing in a field of sunflowers in the south of France, yes. you know, beautiful. Yes. Optimistic. It took me there. Optimistic. Yes. And like the sun is shining and like, you know, when your skin is warmed, like that's what mm. that that's what I smell like today, guys, if you wanted to know. Do you know <laughs> how much I love that? That that's that's what I want these fragrances to do for you. I want you to feel good. I want them to take you somewhere. I transport you. And when you spray them on, I use I use all our fragrances. You know, what mood am I in? What am I wearing? Definitely. If I need yeah. a boost, you talk about electric rhubarb, you know, just the name. Ding, zing. You know, I, I, I actually wore that all the way through lockdown every morning, spritzing on, che cheering myself up, giving myself... Um, you know, a boost and a lift. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. And if rhubarb is not as popular in America using no. it. I know a lot of British sweets use it and then it's used in cooking a lot. Yeah. So how did you take that and put it into this really beautiful perfume? Well, that's interesting. Um, we also did a collaboration with the Royal Horticultural Society, which is called the RHS, which is the big royal um, uh, gardening charity. They have a garden called Wisley, and in there, they're sort of a bit like a museum or guardian of different types of species. And there was I think 12 different types of rhubarb there. And Jerome, wow. yeah, Jerome, our nose was just like, wow, that's inspirational. But when you right. extract oils, um, yeah. soft fruits, so rhubarb's a soft fruit, so is pear, you know, they're used a lot in perfumery. You can't extract it from the fruit itself. So they're nature identical. So that's created to smell a bit like rhubarb. And oh, I, how cool! I guess it's a tart. It's a like a kind of a tart, sharpish kind of taste that enlivens your mouth. And and yes, you're right. Brands in Britain use rhubarb quite a lot, also in beauty. Right. Um, okay. But he's crafted it with jasmine, um, you know. And it's, I love jasmine. Uh, oh, yeah. I want my wedding scent to be jasmine, some sort of jasmine. Okay, like, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Maybe electric rhubarb is it. Yeah. And it, the color of rhubarb is this beautiful, like robust red, right? Yeah. Like, red and green. It is yeah. red and green and it's so beautiful. And again, your photography really captures that. 
are all of your fragrances in collaboration with um, a separate entity, I guess, like Van Gogh? No, no, no. We've just, you've just touched on two that have. No, no, no. <laughs> We've got 11 fragrances and right. two of those are in collabs. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. The ones that I yeah. picked for first. Okay. <laughs> awesome. And then London Poppy. I love I love Poppy. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that one. Okay. How did that one come about? Well, I wanted to create, I had mood muses. And I, when I worked with Jerome, who's our nose, I did mood boards. And this mood board was Athena woman. So it was about being energetic, about body positive. Um, imagine you're sort of hopping on a bicycle in Common Garden in the morning and cycling. And Poppy, although it doesn't have a scent, it's a beautiful flower and, oh, and it's so re- resilient. It grows anywhere, you know, tiny bits. So I thought what a great story around London is that it's a resilient city. It's it Beauty appears anywhere in a city, I think, if you allow it. And, and Poppy is this incredible zesty, amazing uplifting so spritz it on in the morning it's going to give you this energy boost where it so like confidence yes in a bottle yeah okay I like that yeah I like that okay that's that's fun and let's let's just end on neon rose because I love the how you took neon which is just like this really like electric color Mm -hmm. and paired it with something as beautiful and dainty as a rose so what is that story? I have to know. Okay. That's a really good one to choose. Um, we created a rose as if it were neon. So the smell, imagine. Yes. And oh my there's gosh. about 120 different roses. Um, not all of those are used in perfumery. Um, there's very few that are used in perfumery. But this fragrance has no rose in it. So we say no roses for harm. So what, what <laughs> Jerome has used is pear jasmine which you love he's combined all these oh no gardenia sorry he's combined all these ingredients to which is very jasmine like gardenia um to create this rose as if it were neon so it's very zingy i call it popping on my high heels even in my pajamas you know (laughs) it's um it makes you feel 10 years younger And it's, again, long-lasting, modern. And the bottle's beautiful, you know, with the neon. It's gorgeous. That is so incredible. Now, let's go beyond scent. In this advice segment, we search the internet for questions people post about beauty, self-expression, and career, and ask Michelle to share her thoughts. Should I buy the same fragrance every time or have several brands to avoid always wearing the same stuff? Well, that's a great question. Should I wear, you know, I believe not just with the Floral Street brand, but I think fragrance, you should experiment. Um, But it can be expensive to experiment. So be really careful. I would say sample, you know, buy discovery sets, try things out first and 
I think a lot of people go into a store, they buy a fragrance and then they get it home. They might have spent $200 on that and wear it twice and think, oh my God, I'm not quite sure about this. So I think the more you learn about the ingredients you like and definitely experiment, you know, we change our lipsticks, we change our hair color. You know, we say at Floral Street, you should change your fragrance as often as you change your shoes, you know, and, and it's, right. you know, why not? <laughs> why not bring the joy of scent? to, you know, your outfit or how you're feeling that day. Awesome. I love that. That's so fun. So the next one is I'm a 20 year old woman looking for ways to be confident. Okay. Well, self-esteem is really, really important. So on a personal level, I think you need to surround yourself with positive people that help you do that. Um, but if you're looking to have fragrance give you a boost, um, there's, I find, uh, a really good vanilla fragrance. We have, um, a wild vanilla orchid and when I'm feeling a bit low or my self-esteem is, and, and that happens to all of us, whether you're a CEO, a founder, you have those days. If I spritz some of that on, it feels the vanilla makes me feel comforted, but, and confident. And there's nothing better for your self-esteem than walking into a room or being in a line at the coffee shop and somebody saying to you, wow, you smell good. What are you wearing? So if, 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 if fragrance helps you feel better about yourself and, uh, and attracts a positive reaction from others, I'd say use it. Awesome. We all can use those compliments yes. every day. Okay. So the third one is how can I overcome the fear of self-expression? Wow. Well, uh, that's a big, big question. <laughs> um, and it depends on your situation, doesn't it? It depends on where you live, who your family are, who your friends are. Um, I think, again, experiment slowly, you know, with self-expression. Um, you know, I come from an era of the 70s and 80s where people just were, were ripping up ripping up clothing and pinning it back together and making fashion. And I came from a very confident era in self-expression. And I think now, you know, experiment with makeup, experiment with your hair. Um, and again, with fragrance can help you express who you are, you know, and, and sometimes fragrance can do it. Even if you don't feel confident enough to do it with some clothing, you could, you could find something that you pushes you slightly in a direction you wouldn't have chosen before. Um, you know, like you can with lipstick, instead of sticking to the same color, try something different and help have a, have others help you. Other experts help you, help you do your makeup differently. Um, you know, help you choose an outfit differently. But as far as I'm concerned with fragrance, it's, you wouldn't see, that self-expression, but you can smell it and therefore feel it. Okay. So the fourth one is how do I start a business with little money or no help? That's pretty difficult. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I mean, you know, um, well, okay. Um, we live in a, in a different time now. I, I, I would start if, if, if it's a specific business that idea you have, maybe you identify another company to work with that, that is in that arena and you start to work for that company and start to gain some experience in that sector and gain some learnings. Because the biggest, 
you know, there's a million and one ideas. It's actually making those ideas happen that is the difficult part. Um, without finance, you know, if you want your idea to get realized rather than starting a business, you know, go work maybe in an arena for a company where you think your idea can get realized. You know, somebody that went to the same school as I did in the UK went and invented the iPod, you know, if he'd have started to do that in his back bedroom in, in London, that would not have happened. So I think if you've got an idea, but you haven't got the experience or the finance, maybe try and find somebody that believes in your idea to help, to help facilitate that. Awesome. That's a great piece of advice for sure. Okay. And then the final question is, as a 21-year-old, should I prioritize career advancement or work-life balance? Okay. First of all, for all of you out there that are in your 20s, <laughs> this is a myth. There is no work-life balance, right? You... Um, I. I Call me old-fashioned, but I think it depends on the person again. If you really, really want to go for life and building something worthwhile, when you're younger, you have the energy, you have less risk attached to that. If you haven't got a family or a mortgage or debt or, you know, go for it 100% to what your aim is to work for in your 20s and 30s. And and for women in particular, especially if you are a working mom and you have, you know, you just, there's not so much balance. So I'm not going to lie to you about that. You, you, you literally can't have everything and expect balance in between all of that. So um, I would say to the 21-year-old, if it was me and I was 21, which is what I did, I took every risk possible you know, I moved to London. I worked for no money at first. It's a different day now. I'm not expecting people to do that. But I think you've got to take the opportunity where it comes and make a choice to turn that opportunity, to maximize that opportunity to build. Um, and then I think now more and more so with flexible working, with Companies recognizing people need other things. As a leader of a company, you know, you are trying to pull your company back together and yet at the same time be flexible with everyone. So I think we've got the, the idea to maybe make a new kind of day. But if you're young and energetic and you have a goal, and not everybody does, but if you do, I would say go for it with 300% of what you've got. I love that. I also, I didn't ask this question, but I was very interested to, to hear what you had to say because I feel like I come from an era that says everybody's like, you can have it all, mm -mm. but it's, it's like, how can you have it all you can make it all work? <laughs> I was like, are these people superheroes? Because it's not working for me. <laughs> no, no you know what? I think, <laughs> I honestly think that's why we have quite a few challenges with mental health, you know, including for myself now, because the challenge because, you know, you're expected as young people now to look good on social media, to hold down a job, to uh, be having spare time, to, you know, keep fit. Uh, right. There's so many things you're expected to be. It's just yeah. not possible. It's just not possible. So the pressure I, is real. Yeah. I mean, step back, decide what's important to you. 
understand sometimes something's got to give, but be in control of what that thing is that gives and be really kind to yourself. You know, if if I haven't done my laundry on Thursday, you know, am I going to die? No. You know, I, I, I just literally think you have to be more in control of letting go, if that makes sense. It's a bit yes. of an oxymoron, but um, well, I you know. love that. Mm-hmm. Yes, letting letting go, let it go. Okay, so as we wrap up, I think you have plans to expand Floral Street into home products, mm-hmm. and how do you envision the brand's evolution going into the future? Wow. Well, we have got home products, and with Scentbird, we are. Um, being one of their first home product brands to send out a beautiful candle, which is called Wonderland Peony. And again, I've taken the same ethos. It's sustainable packaging in in all of the ingredients and the formulations in the home products are completely clean. We've got plastic-free scented reeds, which are so great for back to school or anywhere in your home. You can pop one in a drawer. So I'm trying to innovate within the sector to bring joy into the home and for you to be able to sort of sense your life, you know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. Sense You know, that's so cool. From your car to your home, to your own personal, you know, smell good, feel better, learn about what, what, what scents and fragrances you respond to really well and use those in different rooms to create different moods. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And this one is one of my favorite questions I think I've ever asked. So I want to get it right. But what story would you want to tell in a decade about how your life has gone and the impact you've had? My life has been the most incredibly exciting journey. I have never had a plan. So, um, I think if I was the story I would want to tell is be open in life, um, be kind. Um, and, and I think if I rewind, you know, looking at all the wonderful people I've met around the world and the, and I think what I've brought, I hope is I've made people feel better about themselves in the workplace, you know, via the products I've brought, uh, and unlocking, you know, self-esteem and joy. And I hope that's what I get remembered for and making people, you know, laugh along the way, really. Absolutely. We need to laugh more, everyone. We need to laugh we more. Do. <laughs> we do. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Do a lot of his laugh. So I'm in the I'm with the right company. Uh-huh. Um, well, thank you, Michelle. This has been so wonderful. This has been this chat has exceeded my expectations and I'm so excited to have connected with you today. Oh, me too with you and best of luck with your journey too. Thank you. That was Heather Hyatt and Michelle Feeney from Floral Street, based in London, England. Up next on Scent World, tune in on March 21st, National Fragrance Day, for a bonus episode featuring some of the most influential voices in the fragrance industry. You've been listening to Scent World. 
Write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and as a thank you, we'll send you a free 8ml travel spray of a fragrance of your choice and a Scentbird atomizer case. Go to podcast.scentbird.com slash reviews to redeem. This is a limited time offer valid for the month of March while supplies last. Scent World is a Scentbird original series produced by Flowship. Today's episode was executive produced by Maria Nurislamova. Produced by Mike Giordani. Edited by Ramiro Gava. Mixed by Alex Roses. Production support by Peely Melendez. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.